Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is Brett Menard, and this is the podcast extension for ROI Show 495. Our guest for today is Dr. Edward Wilson Lee, 1596 Fellow at Sydney Sussex College in the University of Cambridge, who will be talking to us today about his book, The Catalog of Shipwrecked Books, Christopher Columbus, His Son, and the Quest to Build the World's Greatest Library. The history buffs joining us today are Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. And Ed, you get the first question. Thanks, Brett. Uh, Edward, you mentioned uh, in the radio portion of the program that uh, Hernando's idea was not terribly popular early on. Uh, and there was a general sort of borderline contempt for the printed word. But as time went on, uh, what was Hernando's uh, approach or attitude about providing access to others uh, as far as his collection was concerned? Was it, you know, this is mine and you can't have it? Um, or or yeah. what? how did he address that? Yeah, it's an excellent question. So, I mean, um, slightly bafflingly, Hernando's own answer to this um, when uh, he was drawing up his will and when he was leaving a kind of description of his library project to whoever would continue it after him, was that the library um, was not for readers. The library was for the purpose of drawing up the catalogues, which was, you know, it seems like an utterly bizarre and baffling uh, way of thinking of it. But you have to remember that one of the central things that uh, the, the, the Renaissance, the early modern period, was obsessed with was the specter of the disappearance of the classical world. We always talk about the fact that, you know, they were, they've become fascinated in classical learning, and that was true. And, uh, you know, a new interest in Rome and Greece and, and, and Roman and Greek writings. But as they became interested in it, they became increasingly aware that, uh, of how much was lost, of how they only had a tiny fragment of what had been created in the classical world. And this led to a determination uh, that they would, you know, that it wouldn't happen again. So in some senses, Hernando's library was, you know, was a doomsday vault for culture to make sure that the, uh, the advances that were being made were not simply lost in some other cataclysmic you know, scenario of invasion or, or, or whatever. So he actually, um, the, the design for the library was, is, is in some senses one of paranoia, that the library was actually designed uh, to have uh, almost like a shark cage uh, in which the readers had to sit and stick their hands through the bars uh, and turn the pages of the books so that they couldn't take the books out of the library with them. And so, uh, you know, he did envision having readers. Again, like a, a lot of modern research libraries, elite, you know, kind of proper research libraries, you had to, uh, you could only come in to use the books in the library if the, they were not books that were available elsewhere. So he didn't want kind of people just coming in to, to have a bit of a browse and, um, get their sticky fingers on things. So he did imagine allowing readers into the libraries, uh, but, you know, very, very cautiously. As he said, as I say, uh, you know, part of the point was to draw up the catalogues uh, so that the catalogues were designed to be printed and distributed around uh, the Spanish kingdom and around Europe and, I guess, around the world uh, so that people could have an index to what was available out there um, and find the right books and, and come and use them in the library if, if, you know, the library was the only place that had the relevant books. Rick. Edward, uh, before I ask my question, I'm curious, what is the 1596 fellow? What is that? Yeah, so my college, 
Cambridge. My college in Cambridge um, was founded in 1596 on Valentine's Day in 1596. Uh, the 1596 Society is the society of our most important um, donors and supporters. Uh, and so my fellowship in the college is, is paid for by um, by that society. So I'm called, that's why I'm called the 1596 Fellow. Fabulous, fabulous. I was going to ask you, uh, you mentioned in the broadcast portion that the library that uh, Hernando put together uh, was sold to the king. Does any of it still exist today? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the, the story of its later history um, is, is a fascinating one. It wasn't sold to the king. It was supported by the king. Um, uh, Hernando, you know, at his death, essentially uh, left it to his nephew, um, who was in the legitimate line of the Columbuses. But the, his nephew, kind of like uh, Hernando's own brother, his nephew's father, uh, was a complete wastrel, um, had no interest <laughs> in the books whatsoever, um, and spent most of his life being uh, hounded around the world uh, with people trying to arrest him for polygamy, just like his father, actually. Um <laughs> So he had no interest in the books whatsoever, um, and eventually the books ended up um, in uh, one monastery in, in Seville, uh, and then uh, they they ended up in Seville Cathedral, where they were locked up in a in a essentially an attic room um, and forgotten about for 400 years. Um, during which time the collection of five uh, 15,000 books shrunk to about four to five thousand books, um, partly through damage, a lot of theft. Um, so many of the books are about. Uh, four to five thousand of the books still remain today in Seville Cathedral, where uh, in the 20th century or the, the late 19th, early 20th century, they realized what a treasure these books were. Uh, and they had eventually become part of a research institution there. And, and the books are obviously very well looked after now, but that's really only something that's happened in the last 40 or 50 years. And during the intervening period, as I say, most of the books have, have, have gone missing. Many of them now are beginning to be traced in the great research libraries of the world. So um, they, when they were pilfered in the 19th century, they were, um, you know, taken to other libraries, sold uh, in the international rare book market and things like that. Um, and luckily, you know, Hernando was a, an, an obsessive figure who made uh, extraordinarily detailed notes about everything in his life and everything in his library and left um, uh, inscriptions in each of his books. So usually his books can be traced since he put uh, an inscription in each of them uh, recording the date uh, and the location where he purchased it and how much he paid for it, um, which, again, is a treasure trove for understanding the early modern book world, which is part of what's exciting about this project. So I know that at this time period, um, the Catholic Church was interested in ensuring that certain books uh, were not widely disseminated. Did Hernando run afoul of their wishes in his uh, quest? Yeah, so it's a very good question. Hernando um, was just on the kind of event horizon of the Inquisition. So um, after his death, uh, many of the books uh, which were considered heretical, so the entire collection of uh, Hebrew and Arabic books uh, was uh, has disappeared. Uh, many of the books by controversial authors uh, were censored or at least had autor dom damnatus, condemned author, um, kind of written on the on the cover and you know warnings written against them, and um, so that did account for some of the um, the loss of the books after his his death. During his own lifetime, um, it, as I say, it was just prohibitions against this kind of reading were just starting to get underway. So 
in the early 1520s, Charles V banned um, the purchase of Protestant books in his lands. Um, and Hernando, after that point, stopped buying Protestant books. He had, before that, bought a huge numbers of Protestant, Protestant books by Luther and, and others, uh, and he didn't get rid of them. Uh, he just didn't buy any more. So he, he played by the by the letter of the law, if not necessarily by the spirit of it. Um, so, yeah, uh, as I say, he was kind of on the, on the borderline of, of when that kind of censorship really became significant. Okay, Rick, you get the last question. Well, uh, it uh, hopefully doesn't take a lot of time. You mentioned in the broadcast portion that Hernando uh, propagated myths about his his father. Could you give us the most egregious myth that uh, uh, he put out about Dad? Yeah, so I mean, I, I, essentially, the greatest myth that he put out about his father is that he knew what he was doing. Um, so. <laughs> Columbus uh, was, in many ways, a kind of interesting, extraordinary figure. He had a very late medieval mindset. He was attempting to find India and to, to sail around, you know, sail west in order to get to India and China and the Holy Land, um, because he believed that if he could circumnavigate the world, he would bring about the last things um, and, you know, the second coming of Christ and the end of the world. He was a late medieval apocalyptic thinker. Hernando's biography of his father portrays him as a much more um, level-headed, uh, almost proto-scientific kind of thinker who, you know, was interested in, in geographical discovery and um, uh, and so on and so forth, and and, and whose uh, exceptionalism was, a, you know, a rationalism and, and level-headedness and interest in uh, you know the specificities of. of um, map making and, and plotting, you know, plotting courses, and, and this is actually much more of a portrait of Fernando himself than of his father. As I say, uh, I think I said earlier in the program that you know, towards the end of the 19th century, people became interested in Columbus's letters and discovered this Columbus who was a bit of a loony. Um, and it's become increasingly obvious that the Columbus, who is the kind of centre of that Columbus myth, the, the kind of level-headed visionary, um, you know, who put who put behind. Uh, Europe, these kind of benighted myths about the world, and went out and discovered a kind of new rational scientific world. That is not a portrait of Columbus at all, but it is something of a portrait of Hernando himself. We would like to thank our guests for this 495th show, Dr. Edward Wilson Lee, 1596 fellow at Sydney Sussex College in the University of Cambridge, who talked to us today about his book, The Catalogue of Shipwrecked Books. Christopher Columbus, his son, and the quest to build the world's greatest library. The history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights on KALA Radio or on the web at TuneIn.com. If you're looking for older programs, you'll find them at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search and click on the first icon and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station KALA St. Ambrose University.